Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table. We discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And my guest today is Reg Grant who uh, is going to be discussing, uh, I guess, in-character preaching might be one way to describe it. How would you describe what we're going to be discussing? Um, how to use, I think, first-person narratives uh, in preaching to help establish rapport with your congregation. Okay. That, that's one way. Okay. So, uh, Reg, let's talk about how you got into this. Uh, how did a nice guy like you, Reg and I are, <laughs> I go back way back. We, we were in seminary together and, uh, and then have just traveled along, uh, in our journeys as faculty members over these many decades. So, so how did a nice guy like you get into a gig like this? Well, it was another nice guy. My great uncle, Rocky Reagan, one of the great old cattlemen of uh, South Texas back in the 50s, uh, he would invite us over to his home, uh, which was a, I mean, it was just a, an ideal story location. It was an old converted, uh, 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 what do you call it? A, a, a converted stagecoach depot oh, wow. uh, that was a hotel. And uh, he, he had this, he and his wife, Annie Lee, lived in this old hotel, and he had a rawhide rocker located directly underneath a wagon wheel chandelier. And every Sunday afternoon, we would go over to Uncle Rocky's, and he would tell Debbie, my sister, and myself stories of the Old West, which he eventually turned into three books. So we, we grew up in a storytelling culture, and I, I started telling stories and acting when I was about eight and a half mm. uh, and uh, preparing for Broadway. Everything in me, even though I was a ranch hand for my dad, uh, I started saying, man, I got Broadway in my sights. I really, I really want to go there, and that's what, I, that's what I continued to do until the Lord really got a hold of me when I was in college. So, so you went to college and then, so did, so you made it to Broadway or you didn't make it to Broadway I, college? I don't, I'm not sure where you went to school. So, um, so how, how's the New York part of this work? My wife and I, Lauren and I had the tickets to go to Broadway to, to New York. We were going to move, uh, everything about both of us had trained us for New York and auditions and stuff like that. So we had the tickets to go in our hand when we were invited to a Bible study led by Greg Haig, whom you know, we're yes. old buddies. Yep. And uh, Greg was a pastor in Lubbock where Lauren and I were attending tech. And I got invited to a Bible study by my old pal, Ed Quillen. And uh, I didn't want to go. And Lauren did. And she wasn't even a believer at the time. I was, but just barely under the door. And uh, I said, she said, come on, uh, you know, Eddie and Mary are our good friends. It'll be the last time we see them before we go to New York, yada, yada. And I said, oh, okay, fine. So we, we wound up going to this Bible study, and my goodness, everything changed. I mean, we had never heard the Bible presented the way that Greg presented it to us. Who, Greg, being with Chosen People Ministries now, he presented the Bible so clearly, and we were low-hanging fruit. Boy, I mean... 
we just, we literally sat at his feet. You couldn't get a room, a seat in this home that was hosted by a guy named Jeff Berta. You, you couldn't get a seat. So we sat on the floor at his feet and he talked to us about the Lord and commitment to him. And we, we looked at each other and we said, this is what we've been looking for our whole life. We went ahead and went to New York. We knew the dance captain of a show called Pippin. There were open auditions for a little show called The Chorus Line you may have heard of. Yeah. And we were going to do all that. It, the Lord just would not let me rest. I, we were very unsettled there. And so we moved back to Lubbock and just waited on the Lord. And he made it very, very clear to us that he wanted us to go to seminary. So I had to uh, do an Abraham on on my love for the theater, Abraham, uh, the theater had become my Isaac. I didn't know it. Uh-huh. Uh, and the Lord wanted me to lay it on the altar and walk away, uh, which I did. Um, the day I did that, I gave away my makeup kit. I know it sounds weird. I gave away, I've been building this makeup <laughs> kit since I was eight and a half. I gave it to my old buddy, Andrew Galp, who is still working over in Fort Worth in theater. And, uh, that afternoon, when I, that was my, that was the emotional umbilical cord that tied me to the theater. So huh. I gave away my makeup kit. That was the last vestige, and I thought that's what the Lord wanted. And that afternoon, a friend of mine, John Ratliff, called me. Said, "There's this fellow at seminary you need to meet named John Reed. He's doing this thing called Christian theater. This was in 1976, uh-huh. and I I had no idea what was going on, but the Lord used John Reed to help." guide me back into theater and in particular uh, theater in the local church. Well, that's interesting. So was your interest in in Broadway and theater yours or was it also Lauren's or did was she just along for the ride? No, she was along for the ride pretty much. I, I met her the first day of class at Tech, the ah. first class. Uh-huh. And uh, we started dating and she left her her degree behind, she was going to go into, I think it was in advertising or something like that. And she wound up switching over to theater because that was my life. And we, uh, we sort of grew up in theater together from that point. She was 17 when I met her. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> so, so was she, was she, when she moved to theater, was she thinking about acting as well? Or was she doing more of the technical parts of doing theater? More behind the scenes. Yeah. But I must say she is a very good actress mm-hmm. and she's even a better director. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she prefers more of the background and staying behind. And all of our kids got the acting bug and are doing things in theater and film now. So we're, you know, uh, it's just been a great ride. Wow. Wow. Well, that's great to hear. Well, that, that's part of the story I didn't know. And I knew that you and Greg were good friends. I just didn't know what that connection was. Okay. So, so <laughs> this may take us a while. We're in the 1970s now. We're, we're, up, to, <laughs> we're up to John Reed. Uh, so, uh, so tell us, about, tell us about that. So you hit seminary thinking you'd left all this behind. Your makeup kit was now uh, AWOL and gone, yep. uh, and you were ready to prepare for wherever it was God was going to take you, and you run into John Reed, and the curveball comes. So tell yeah. us about that. Yeah, John Reed was my ram in the thicket. Okay. Uh, you know, he, the Lord just pointed over there and said, hey, look over there. You know, you don't have to sacrifice the thing that I've been preparing you your whole life to do. There, there's, a, there's another way of thinking uh-huh. about it. And so uh, John helped me reorient toward local church ministry. And at that point, 
Oh, that was that was seventy six. Not too long after that, I met uh, Chuck Swindoll, mm-hmm. and we became very good friends. And I started doing, uh, you know, concert not concerts, but uh, events of uh, certain kinds. Events, yeah, yeah, with him, and I was sort of the dancing monkey. You know, I'd go out and do my <laughs> acting gig, and Chuck would preach, and we do this tag team thing. Do you yeah, have symbols? We went to, we have traveled, I mean, we've been all over the world together. We've been, we've been just to Israel quite a bit, German, all over Europe uh, with me doing first persons and uh, usually Bible characters. But when we went to Europe, we would do, I would do Reformation characters like mm. Luther and Zwingli and, and guys like that, uh, John Huss. Uh, so before he got burned at the stake, uh, that's and, good because uh, yeah, that's a bad ending. <laughs> <laughs> painful. Uh, yeah. So we had we had a really have had a wonderful relationship over the years. We really have enjoyed one another's company and being able to. Gee, just think about it, Daryl. I mean, this is a this is an actor's dream to be able to portray Luther in Wittenberg in front of the doors. Yeah. In the plots, yeah. where you're, you're surrounded by people in front of 600 and something of your closest friends, and you've got people leaning out the windows in the plots, just regular folks, listening to Luther yeah. talk. Oh, man, it was just... Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, my, my, now, my first visit to Wittenberg came uh, in the 1989-90 peri- uh, period when the wall came down. Mm. And uh, that May of 90, uh, my brother came over with his wife, and we journeyed into East Germany, which you could just barely get into at the time, and um, drove the roads, saw Russian troops everywhere, landed at a a hotel called the Adler, which Eagle, and uh, I'll never forget this. We went to go get dinner, and we started to order off the menu, and they said, we don't have that. We don't have that. We don't have that. So we said, what do you have? They said that we have rabbit. That's what we had for dinner. And so uh, and so, this is in the middle of East Germany. Russia's still in control, et cetera. Um, when you went to East Germany from West Germany, it was like going back to the early 1950s and late 1940s. I mean, mm. it's unbelievable. Mm. Of course, Wittenberg is an old established city that has buildings going back to when, you know, Adam and Eve walked the earth. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, way, way back. Um, so I can picture... I can picture the scene that you're that you're talking about Wittenberg as a very special place in our hearts because uh, the visit was just so um, different and and in some ways traumatic. In fact, my my sister in law, we only stayed one night, and when we were as we were leaving, she says, "I'm glad to get out of here." She was so spooked mm. by everything that was going on. Mm. It was only us and I think one Bulgarian in the Adler that night. So anyway, wow. Um, wow. So that's our. Well, you know, Daryl, the, the 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 power of story in those those cultures that had experienced a lot of of repression, yeah, uh, for so many years. The power of story can liberate people. That there's political liberation, and then there's soul liberation. Right. And when you when you move into a culture like that, we we went into uh, Romania right after Ceausescu fell. I've done the right, same I mean, thing. Like, Yep. Within days. And well, you know, I mean, it's remarkable the difference. We had people, you talked about the guy that was serving you dinner. We had, we had waiters coming up in our hotel up in, uh, we were up in, um, in Transylvania uh-huh. and 
we had we had waiters come in and slip us because the secret police were still out. We had waiters slipping us notes saying, "Help me get out." Yeah. Uh, we had we had women in babushkas coming up in the city square. Just, uh, the little cluster of women, and I'm standing there with them. I don't understand a word they're saying. They're just, you know, da 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 da. da and I don't know what they're saying. One of them takes off and comes back with her baby with tears in her eyes, offering me her baby and saying, please take her, take her back to the States with you, please. I mean, it's just the, the most yeah. desperate condition. Uh, I, I was there within six weeks after Ceausescu was replaced, yeah. going into various orphanages, taking relief, because that was another sabbatical yes. year for me. And uh, I went with another German theological student. We took a truck full of stuff to these five orphanages. And mm -hmm. in one of the places, a lot of people will remember who went, who watched this from a distance, all the shows about orphanages and the way in which kids were being cared for during that period. And one of the women who ran the orphanage, uh, the second language in Romania is German. And so you can speak German with people and most people will know German. And so we were conversing in German and, um, and she told me a story that they would ask Ceausescu once a year for chocolate for the children for Christmas, and he would refuse them annually. Oh, and hit and in her in, in very clear German, she said to me, "Hitler was a rose compared to Ceausescu." And I'm going, oh. now that's a comparison. Wow. I mean, so so yeah, so uh, and and so uh, not to get away from our topic, these are terrific stories, but uh, <laughs> uh, but the point is, is that is that um, theater if I can say it that way, or portrayal, or as you said, stories are able to touch people in ways that, um, that Jack Webb and just the facts, ma'am, don't touch. And so uh, another old illustration for those of you under 35, that's Dragnet. <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, so let's talk a little bit about that. So you met John Reed, and I take it you guys work together on on how to do this. You brought your acting background to it. He brought his theological homiletical crafting to it and y'all went to work. And then you, you had a cohort in crime to some degree, Don Regeer, right? Who helped mm -hmm. record some of what you were doing and, and, and wrestled with, okay, how do we visualize what you all are doing and record what you all are doing? I think you were, you, you've been so many different people. I'm surprised you don't have a split personality. I mean, <laughs> you, yeah. uh, you, you did, you were, I think the Lewis Berry Chafer, right? In the, in the seminary yeah. film, uh, you know, and I don't know how many different characters you've done, but, uh, you've really done an array of people in, in your time. It has been, uh, it's been a real delight to do that. John encouraged me to do it. Don Regeer, of course, with his fantastic skills in photography, uh, helped me do that. Chuck has been a, a, a great encouragement. John and I wrote a book, as a matter of fact, uh, a number of years ago called Telling Stories to Touch the Heart that teaches this process of first-person uh, narrative structure and how to go from zero to uh, the, the final product. So if, if people are interested in getting that, you can still get it on Amazon. Uh, Telling Stories to Touch the Heart, Reg Grant and John Reed. That's great. So, so you've, I mean, obviously you've done an array of people. Uh, this is a question I hate to be asked, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you have a favorite? I mean, is there one that you really go, man, I really like, I really like doing that one. 
I I really the the one that surprised me the most was probably Esau. Hmm. Uh, he uh, uh, as I was studying him, you know, you go into the research on these characters, and you kind of have because of your biblical and theological background, you sort of have a a kind of a preconceived idea of what the character is going to wind up being or how he's going to be presented. Esau was a complete surprise. Uh, well, not complete. I mean, I he. He's a hairy man, he's red, and he's, yeah, yeah. he's volatile. I mean, those things fit. But the change in character for him from when he wanted to kill Jacob to when he's standing beside Jacob at his father's funeral uh, is, and, and the words that you find in Esau's mouth, the actual words he speaks uh, at the reconciliation scene in Genesis should have been in the mouth of Jacob, but they weren't. They were in the mouth of Esau. Esau was the one who was seeking reconciliation. Esau was the one who had, to some degree, I think, dealt with personal forgiveness, uh, where Jacob, the very, very first thing that we see happen after that reconciliation meeting is Jacob lies, and he goes in the opposite direction that he promised Esau he would go because he's scared of Esau still. That character, um, is, and it's one of the ones that we present for uh, pastors in this new this new collection of characters that I have that are designed for pastors and Bible teachers. So you get to see Esau up close and personal. So talk about that a little bit. What is this site that you're talking about? Uh, we started a, a site on my last sabbatical a couple of years ago. Uh, I received permission from the seminary to develop this website called uh, myunderstudy.com, www.myunderstudy.com. And an understudy is someone who is a backup for the main character in a stage play or in a, a film. Uh, it's somebody who has to memorize all the lines and be ready to go at a moment's notice should something happen to the main character. Uh, it's, the, the, it's sort of the idea of I am second. It's, uh, it's, it's a subordinate role. It's not the star. It's the subordinate role. So we started this myunderstudy.com with the goal of helping local pastors and Bible teachers. They can go to myunderstudy.com and they can find there, the, we started out with 10 characters, a mix of Old Testament and New Testament characters, and each character study is divided into segments, three to six segments, and each segment has its own leader guide and study guide. And so you can, you can go to myunderstudy, you can uh, sign up for all of the characters and get everything. And now I think we still have it on for, I think we still have it on for half price if they want to go and look at it. And uh, the, as a matter of fact, Esau, the first installment of Esau is available for them to look at to see what kind of work we did. It's full costume and makeup. It's in a black box theater that was generously donated by the Swindoll ministry. And, uh, and then my sons, Gabe and Nick, uh, who are, uh, they have their own production company called Rook, R-O-O-K productions.com. They shot it and edited it for me. So it was a family project and we're, we're real happy with the end result. But mainly it's for Bible teachers and pastors who are either doing a thematic study or a character study or a book study where this character appears and they can use it to, and they're real short. The, the little pieces are only about, two and a half to three minutes long. 
So uh, a question to see how old you are. So when you were originally doing these, were these on videotape? I mean, how did you record the stuff that you did when you recorded it originally? How far back do you Oh, go? yeah. Yeah, wire recorders. They, <laughs> not really. No, they were, they were uh, we did them originally on, uh, yeah, the, the first ones we did were on videotape. Yeah. Uh, yeah, back in the 70s. Yeah. Uh, it was videotape, and then the, it went to, what was it after that? DVD or mini DV or something. Anyway, we went, we've been in every. Did you bypass fact, VHS? Uh, no, no, VHS. We, we used VHS. Um, an interesting thing is that I've just, since we're in COVID right uh -huh, now. Right. Uh, and I'm going through all of my, I've got all of these, these mini, mini DVs. Yeah. And yeah. DVD, I, all of the, and VHS and Hi8. I'm going through all of that oh, and man. extracting all of the performances and redoing all of my lectures at DTS, uh, incorporating all this stuff. So it's really a blessing, you know. We're Interesting. Enjoying. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. So, uh, do you have any idea how many characters you've done? Uh, a little over 30. Okay. Uh, I have a little over 30 that I've actually written and performed. That doesn't include the film characters. Uh -huh. uh, the film characters are, are um, that's a, uh, that we, I did a, a, a series called In Search of the Heroes for a few years, and uh, the Lord blessed that. We had a really good time doing it, won some awards and things like that. that so those aren't included in the ones for, that, I, that I'm counting for the 30. So that's interesting. That sounds like it, it's obviously a lot of work to do these. So it sounds like you do work up about one a year. I mean, it's basically what that comes down to. I mean, so let's talk about the process of doing this. Uh, obviously, there's study and preparation. You've got to write the scripts. From the scripts, you've got to do the staging. So take us through that that sequence. I mean, I've, I've seen you do several of these. So, um, so take us through what that involves. Uh, most of the scripts now are commissioned. Uh, hmm. So if I have a ministry that is interested in me doing something, if I don't already have that character written and researched, I will, uh, I'll start with exegesis and theology, just like I'm doing a regular sermon. So I try to, I try to bracket off the audience for the first two stages of my research, exegesis and theology, because I don't want a subjective interpretive uh, element to enter into my exegesis. I want to try to exegete as objectively as I can and just take the text for what it claims. So I, I do all of that, and then I fashion it into a script that's going to accurately, clearly, interestingly, relevantly reflect 
the intent of the author and the thrust of the text in a way that's going to communicate to a contemporary audience, even though it's a historical character. Then I have to work with my, uh, my makeup designer and design a makeup that's consistent with that character's age. Uh, that person is Gigi Coker. She's been with me for over 20 years. She helps me with all of my theatrical and film makeup. And then the next step is uh, costuming. Uh, I work with uh, Wendy Polby, wonderful costumer. Uh, she and I work together to find out what the authentic clothing would be like, what the material would be like, so that when we're the last thing that we want is bathrobe drama, you know, stand up there in a bathrobe and point to the sky. You know, we want something that's going to be authentic. Yeah, and that, would be, that would actually legit. be pretty disturbing, Reg. So I'm glad you haven't gone there. Uh, that's what it used to be. Uh, yeah. Back in the 70s, 60s and 70s, whoa, man, it was very sketchy. Yeah. So, um, and, then we, and then we rehearse. You know, uh -huh. it, it takes the, from beginning to end, if it's a full fledged character, and I'm and by full fledged, I mean fifteen to twenty minutes performance. Uh -huh. uh, it would take it would it takes me, depending on the character and whether it's in Greek or Hebrew that I'm having <laughs> to do my work. Uh, it takes me between three and six months to get everything done. Wow! So um, you know, I, I think most people don't realize the level of detail that's required when you do anything theatrically. Um, uh, I've done consulting work on movies and that kind of thing where I get yeah. asked, okay, so, you know, what did the ancient world look like? What did a room look like? What was in it? You know, all, all the, all the stuff you never even think about because all you're seeing are the characters and mm -hmm. all the environment that has to be created in order to do this. Now, obviously when you're on a stage or in a church, uh, there, there isn't that much additional prop surrounding there can be, but oftentimes there isn't. So you don't have as much of that to mention, but there's a lot that goes into doing something like this that is beyond just reading the text and, and saying, here's what I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that uh, doing background research and finding the people that you know that you can trust that are really good. Barclay actually has really good background studies hmm. uh, for, especially for New Testament backgrounds. Right. Uh, his, his the detail that he brings to the text for the flora and the fauna that were that were there and right. architecture. It's very helpful. Right. Uh, so yeah, you go back and you dig into those details. Even, now here's the deal that that a lot of people don't appreciate or they just don't know is when you find out what the environment is like, that's going to change the way that you present it, even if the people don't see everything in that environment. Right. So knowing that the flowers were in bloom when Jesus tops the hill and looks at Jerusalem for the last time changes your attitude toward the presentation of that text subtly. But all of those little subtle things add up to a big difference. So how much are you looking for? And I, I, don't, I don't know how, what else to call this. So I'll just throw a term out. And if it's the wrong term, you can correct it. Looking for a hook in that background and something pictorial or symbolic, or even in the text that you kind of hang on to that can be part of the thread that you weave through as you develop the character. Are you looking for those kinds of things when you're, absolutely, when you're doing your research? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. There's always a hook. And there's, and usually the beautiful thing is it's usually in the text. Mm -hmm. It's you usually have something in the text. For example, when I'm doing the book of Ruth or I'm doing Ruth chapter one, 
the word return is repeated five times in chapter one. So that's a hook. That's mm -hmm. an important thing to understand. So the idea of return, it, it, it informs my blocking. Blocking is where you go and why you go there on the stage. So that in the, in the mind of the audience, all time proceeds from the audience's left to the audience's right. So if you're moving forward in time, you're moving on the stage. From the audience perspective, you're moving from the audience left to the audience right. That's progression in time. If you return, you go from the audience's right to the audience's left. So when you're blocking Ruth 1, there are a number of times when you are farther to the audience's right and you're moving back consistently to left. So you're moving from Moab back to Bethlehem. Those kinds of little details really say, oh, let me give you another one. This, is, this one's beautiful for, for the musicians that are out there. Uh, if you're in Genesis and you come up against the, um, uh, the tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the word for tree is eight and the, in Hebrew. Well, you, you move forward a couple of chapters and you're at the oracle against the woman. So Eve, the Lord says, your pain is going to be multiplied in childbearing. Well, the word for pain is a, in Hebrew is a homonym for the word for tree. So that every time Eve's pain was multiplied in childbearing, she would be reminded of the source of her pain and her disobedience in taking the forbidden fruit. Hmm. Now, we don't have any good English homonym for tree and pain that go together. <laughs> so what the, but what the informed artist does and what our students do in the Media Arts and Worship program at DTS, what they can do when they recognize that similarity is they can develop a, a musical theme for the tree that's subtly replicated when it comes to the oracle against the woman so that the audience, without even being consciously aware of it, is so, the, the idea of the consequences of sin is subtly reinforced in the listening audience when they hear that repeated theme. The Old Testament, New Testament's full of that kind of stuff. Those are the hooks you're looking for. That's interesting because that brings in the whole issue of, of music and, and, and what another element of background that you can, you can put into what it is that you do. Uh, man, there are just a million different directions we could go. Let me, let me, let me go here. Um, let's talk about the stage for a second because I remember once you – and I can't remember why – why this got sent to me, but at some point when we were interacting on something we were doing together, you sent me a diagram of the way in which staging is laid out. And, mm -hmm. and you made a point about, you, you made the point about time that you've just made, but you also made a point about stage. I guess it's uh, good and evil and where that sits on a stage and those kinds mm -hmm. of things. We, I mean, you know, I just go to the theater and I think they got to, they only, they only have so much space they can work with. They got to go somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 so, so talk a little bit about that because that obviously, I mean, part of, part of what you do when you have this, and of course you're subject to the environment that you're doing it in, whether you're in the middle of a, uh, I've seen you do this in the middle of a, of, in effect, what was a, what was an ancient theater or an ancient theater space, as well as, you know, in a room, you know, so talk a little bit about how, how staging impacts what you do. This comes out of uh, a discipline that, that, I mean, generally defines called the psychology of aesthetics mm -hmm. and nobody, it's a slippery pig. Nobody really knows why it works. It's very subjective, but test after test after test have confirmed 
that there are certain areas of a stage, a staging area that the audience relates to emotionally and psychologically in different ways and in real specific ways. By the way, this holds true in the West. It holds true in China. It holds true in South America, in Israel. I've tested this all over the world. And to, a, to each culture reaffirms that this is, this is the way it works. This is, uh, in a nutshell, this is, this is how it works. There are areas of the stage that are strong. That would, from the actor's perspective, looking at the audience, that would be to the actor's right. Mm. So that's going to, it's called stage right. From the audience perspective, that's their left. Mm -hmm. But from the actor looking at the audience, it's stage right. That area tends to be more psychologically and emotionally stronger and warmer. To the actor's left tends to be more psychologically cold and aloof. If you, and then beyond that, you can divide the stage into either six, nine, you could do 12, but why would you do that? Yeah. Acting areas. Down center is the most powerful acting area there is. Confrontations, fights, co conflict. Up center, that is farther back on the stage. They call it up because the stages used to be actually elevated. Take a marble at upstage and then roll off into the orchestra pit downstage huh. because the audience was flat and they needed to see the characters at the back of the stage. Right. So upstage center is number two. Downstage right is number three. Downstage left is number four. Upstage right is number five. Upstage left is number six. Those are the basic strengths and weaknesses of the staging areas. And if your character is involved in a fight, then you want them down center. If you've got Romeo proposing to Juliet and saying how beautiful she is and her star, her eyes are like the stars in heaven, then you put that down right because it's warm and mushy and cold and, uh, and intimate and warm. If, you're, if you are doing the death of Jesus, it's close to the audience and it's intimate, but it's also, it's death. So it's more removed. So you put that down left. If you've got demons in pigs, put them up left. That's the place for demons and pigs. They're just the weirdest thing, and they're That's cold interesting. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I I I just saw Hamilton uh, actually oh. presented on the screen. The staging that they do is absolutely amazing. But I'm thinking of the scene where they're debating with one another the political issues, etc. That's right up front. Right, almost in your face on the stage in yeah. terms of what's going on. I mean, yeah, I did too. I just saw it a couple of days ago. I thought it was marvelous, it, it was marvelous production, it, incredible. I mean, you know, Sally and I are commenting not just. I mean, everything about it, the musical <laughs> variety, um, everything about it in terms of the way it was produced and and displayed, uh, absolutely amazing. Um, I, we put it, we put it in a in a handful of places that we've seen where we go. That's one of the best I think we've ever seen. You know, and that play has the record for having the most words of any musical in, in American musical history. And you can see why. Yeah. Can you imagine trying to memorize all those words? Oh, yeah. man. And, and the different music styles that were applied in the, in yeah. the show. I mean, absolutely. Anyway, amazing. So, so let's talk. A, we've got a little bit, just a little bit of time left. Let's talk a little bit about... Uh, about um, your advice to people who want to try and do these first-person uh, portrayals of characters. What, what you don't have to do. 
You don't have to do a long one. You don't have to do, and, and 15 minutes, when you're trying to memorize 15 minutes of material and you're just starting out, that's gonna, that feels like forever. So you don't have to do that. Just take one minute. Just take 30 seconds of the psalm that you're doing for this Sunday and memorize that that brief psalm. Don't do an acrostic psalm. You'll be forever. But get a, <laughs> get a short little psalm that you get, Psalm 2 uh-huh. or Psalm 1. Uh-huh. And 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 memorize that, and then when you present it, you will you will find that you in making eye contact, since the eyes are the windows of the soul. True statement. I mean, you the eyes are the most effective communication tool physically that we have. Step aside from the pulpit and use your hands to gesture and paint the picture. You got ten paintbrushes here. You can paint or sculpt. You're the Edward Scissor hands of drama. You can sculpt. <laughs> the space, Uh right? You step aside from the pulpit and you paint the space and you memorize just 30 seconds. I guarantee you that's going to be the part that people remember because you have made eye contact, you have invested yourself in them, and you have encouraged them to participate. That's what good storytelling will do. It doesn't allow the audience the luxury of observation. It invites them into the story where they can participate with you vicariously in the events from Scripture. And so uh, I take it that part of what you're trying to do, and this is why you use your hands and, and move through the space, et cetera, is you're, you're also you're not only telling a story, you're creating a kind of visual as you move yeah. around, interact with the audience so that, so that the memory isn't just what you are saying, but in some cases what you are depicting, if I can make that distinction. Yeah, yeah. That's right. If, if I tell you, if you and I are having an argument on stage, and, and, um, or let's say, that, let's say that you're not there, but I'm depicting an argument on stage, and I'm and in my regular sermon, and I'm going to say, um, and I'm going to become angry in this argument, and my motion is real simple. It's just this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you to go. Mm-hmm. like that. My line is go. My motion is that. If I do this, go. If I hit say go first and then make the motion then the last time I did the third time that I do it I don't have to say the word all I have to do is make the motion and the people fill in the word so they associate repeated movement with a line or an attitude or an emotion and the third time you do it you've established a pattern on the first two the third time you do it you don't even have to speak the word they fill it in and that's so that's there, a- there are so much that's another kind of hook. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And it's more holistic. You know, it's, it's more, it's more, you want to reach a lot of times I tell my students in preaching that, you know, we do heart bypass surgery. We go straight from the head to the feet. Uh, we, we do have a kind of an intellectualized sermon that really doesn't touch the heart. That's why we wrote the book telling stories to touch the heart mm-hmm. because you want to engage the whole man, the whole woman, the whole child, the, the, all of the senses are involved in good storytelling, and the more holistically you present that story, the more you appeal to those senses, the more involved the person is going to become, even though they, they may initially say, oh, uh, no, just give me the facts, just uh, you guys especially, oh, just give me the facts, I'll write it down, <laughs> I'll make a grocery list, and you take it home and you file the grocery list, and that's, that's, your, you know, that, that's your Christian living there. You, you don't, that's not Christian living, that's just making notes. You want them involved in the story so that they go out and they live that truth. 
Okay, so um, on this website, is it just uh, samples, or do you discuss the, for lack of a better description, the theory and method behind what you're doing? Ah, uh, great question. We, the initial offering, it's still under construction, but it's almost completely done. The initial offering is those 10 characters with study guides and leader guides. So we don't have an analysis of the how-to right there, but uh, it, when people sign on to it, when they purchase the, uh, the, the set, then I am making um, new short videos, one and a half to two minute videos on the how to, that's part of what I'm doing here. Now, uh -huh. I'm making these short videos that show you how to get into character, how to approach the stage, how to use blocking, all of that stuff is going to be just as an add on to the value added kind of a thing for those who sign on. So remind us again of the website www.myunderstudy, M-Y-U-N-D-E-R-S-T-U-D-Y, myunderstudy.com. Interesting. Um, well, Reg, it's been just a real treat to, uh, to walk through this with you and to, you know, I, I like I say, we, I go back to the Don Regeer slideshows, the videotape, uh, all, all that stuff. Uh, we both had a lot less gray then. Uh, yeah. in some cases more hair. And so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But it's been great to walk through this with you. We thank you for, for what is certainly, uh, uh, a powerful and, and a great alternative in ministry. And I really love the idea of these short, almost vignettes within a sermon that you can do so that the person doesn't mm. feel like they have to have, you know, full Broadway and Hollywood training with a makeup kit in order to be able to to do this kind of That's stuff. Right. So um, right. I take it you found your makeup kit again. Is that right? No, <laughs> one way or another told me he, he said, uh, he said, whenever you come back to the theater, I will have it for you. I will keep it. And as far as I know, Andrew's still got it over there in Fort Worth. I've never gone back to get it. Uh, interesting. Wow. Well, thank you again, Reg, for this time and, and uh, the reflection. And I hope people who either have listened to first-person character sermons, it's a lot to say, uh, or, or, um, or have tried to produce them uh, will appreciate what goes into it and, and what its goals are, that kind of thing. And so it's been a real pleasure to have Reg as our guest. We thank you for being a part of the table. We hope you'll join us again soon. If you have topic suggestions for the table, please do feel free to write us at the Hendricks Center at dts.edu, and we'll um, follow those away and, and think through the possibility of them. We thank you for being a part of our time today, and we wish you all the best. Uh, thank you for being with us. We hope to see you again soon. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.